Welcome to episode 22 of The Secret to Everybody. I am Ben. Thank you for joining us this week. This week, we are returning from a brief break. Um, I was gone for two weeks because two weeks ago, I had a rash on my hands and they were very swollen, so I couldn't type notes or anything like that. So I had to cancel the show because of that. And then I was going to have my friend Corey on the show last week with us, but we had some differencing in schedules. I was moving back into college last week, so I had to cancel it then too. But we're back. I'm in college and Corey is here with us. Hi, Corey. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. How you doing? Pretty good. Good, good. So, um, Corey and I both love video games, obviously, and technology, so that's what we're going to be discussing this week. Uh, just like we, it was with when we had Josh from Blimey Cow and with Mikey G a couple months back, the episode was going to be a bit more relaxed and chatty. Um, we don't have any one main topic to discuss, so hope you enjoy that. And that's pretty much it. So, I did want to mention, though, make sure you check out the uh, Star Select podcast, the other guys on the site, episode 19 of their show from a few weeks back they had a special guest uh it was a guy named jamie from the studio left-handed games i'll let you listen to that because it's about an hour long it's an interview with him but they are in the process of making a game called lobo destroyo and there will be a kickstarter campaign coming up for this system uh, a lot more stuff like that but i'll listen let you listen to that episode for yourself the game is going to be heavily influenced by the rare games on the n64 like banjo kazooie and donkey kong 64 which you've been listening to the show you know that i love so definitely be sure to listen to that watch for that kickstarter he is on twitter at lobo destroyo l-o-b-o-d-e-s-t-r-o-y-o so check that out and once that kickstarter launches i'll be sure to bring you all the info on that just like shovel knight beforehand so we have a lot of topics here um Let's start with the Xbox One's policy changes we were just talking about before the show. So we know that at E3, Microsoft said that they they were going to have an always-online console, right? It was going to require the Kinect, it was going to come with the Kinect, and you had to check in every 24 hours to play your games. Now they pulled a 180 on that a couple months back, as we talked about, and and you don't have to check in to play games. Recently, in the past few weeks, they've also announced a new change. Now the Kinect won't be required at all. It'll still ship with the system, and as of now, the price is still the same, but you can unplug it completely. Um, they said that if you enter any sort of application or game that will require the Kinect, it'll let you know that you have to plug it in to go farther and stuff like that. But to me, it seems like the Xbox One is becoming more and more like what the PS4 is trying to do. What do you, what do you think about that, Corey? I am actually kind of disappointed in a lot of their changes. Um, I mean... From since E3, I've kind of known that I was going to probably head towards the PS4 route. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that Microsoft is kind of screwing themselves over with all these policy changes. Like one of the cool things that I thought would be nice about uh, having the Kinect be required is like, oh, people can say, oh, it's going to watch me while I sleep and stuff like that. It Seriously, it's not going to. Right. And secondly, if everyone has a Connect from day one, that means developers can make games that require Connect or use Connect functionality. And if they're just going to take that away, like that's one of the main reasons that the Xbox 360's Connect hasn't done that well. Like you have Connect Sports basically, and that's it. There aren't a lot of AAA games that take advantage of it because they think it's a waste. Right. Because a lot of people have the two hundred dollar sensor i think that whenever if it would have came with all the and did you say it it is still coming with all it, of the it looks like yes it will ship with the system but it's optional to use so you can't not you can't buy a system without it it looks like but it, it'll be optional if you want it plugged in or turned on 
I think I heard a rumor that uh, maybe like in, sometime in 2014 they'll have a cheaper console that ships without it. But I don't know. I mean, that's kind of how I stand on it. I kind of wish that they would have that they would have uh, embraced the Kinect more. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I've never, I haven't really been a huge fan of what they were doing with the Xbox One. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've been a PlayStation guy, and I'm much, I, I'm not a, I don't think I'm a fanboy, but I've definitely leaned toward the PS4 since it started, which I have pre-ordered and fully paid off, by the way. However, I do think. Well, I mentioned that the Xbox seems like it's getting closer to being like the PS4, and I think that I, I don't want it to be like a repeat of the last generation. You know what I mean? Like I think it would be kind of cool if there were if the systems were so different. Like we had this Xbox that was always connected and, and a little bit more like Steam with exactly. checking with checking in and being able like you know if you get a new computer or a different computer you can play your Steam games on there. You just have to sign in or and sharing your games with your family and stuff like that that the Xbox had planned. Now that they took that away, I mean, it's a good thing for people that are worried about always being connected or people that have a spotty internet connection, but for people that don't care, it does take away some features and makes it more like a step back. Now, I mean, it's not necessarily a good or bad thing. Like I said, it really depends on the way way you want to use your system. But, you know, I mean, I still think they'll be different enough. And I do think what you said with the Kinect is really true. Like, if, if the developers know everyone has it, they know that it's worth developing for. Now, it's something like, almost kind of like how Android games are really hard to make because there's so many different phones. You know, like, does this phone have this kind of display? Does this have, you know, a big enough screen for this? What about the buttons? That kind of thing. So they're trying to make something almost like a one-size-fits-all when there's so many different configurations, which could definitely be a problem. You know, I, I don't want to use my Kinect, so... You know, if you buy a game that doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. So I definitely think that's all legitimate what you had to say there. And also, I had, I wrote these notes a couple weeks ago, I had the PS4 is going to get a release date on that Tuesday, but actually the release date has been announced. It is November 15th, which is a Friday, so that's cool. And I saw a rumor that the Xbox One may be released on November 8th, the week before, but that's just a rumor, so I don't put any stock in that, but I did want to report it. So, have you have you actually ordered a PlayStation Four or no? I have. Okay, um, cool. I <clears throat> I don't have it completely paid off yet, but I'm still working on it. Yeah, I as I mentioned before, I think I've told everyone listening. I don't think you can. I'm pretty sure you can't pre-order it right now. Um, Amazon has closed the pre-orders, but you don't get charged until it ships, which is cool. And if you get two day shipping with Amazon, you get the you get a guarantee the day it comes out. So that's cool. Actually, the day um, I'm pretty sure after they announced the uh, the release date, <clears throat> at least at Best Buy, I know that the pre-orders are back online for PS4 and Xbox One. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's neat. I didn't know that. So you might have a second chance if you haven't pre-ordered your system yet. I would get on that because sooner or later they're probably going to close. But I mean, I don't know how many they've actually, you know, how many they have out if they're still making them if they're open to that. Let's see, PlayStation 4 system. I think. You so might it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on Best Buy right now. It, it says sold out online. It's not mm-hmm. available for store pickup, so it looks like, at least online, Best Buy might not be the best choice. So you can do a little bit of hunting for that. Um, let's move on a little bit. Oh, I did want to mention one other piece of news, too. If you are an Xbox 360 user, you're probably going to be happy to know, this is from yesterday, an Xbox 360 system update will be rolling out if you don't already have it, I'm sure you'll get it today or tomorrow. It's going to convert all of the prices and account information um, for the uh, in the form of currency. It's going to be taking out Microsoft points on um, that system that they've used for so long that nobody really understands. Where about 80 
points, of Microsoft points are a dollar. Um, so like twelve hundred points is fifteen dollars for like the Battlefield or Call of Duty map packs. So that now that's going to be normal money. So where, wherever you live, you'll just see ten dollars or whatever for a ma- for content on the Xbox Live Marketplace. So I'm sure you're happy to know that. Does that drive you crazy? Yeah. It- I mean, I I got used to it real quick, but at first I didn't understand what the heck it, what the heck was going yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, it it's I guess it's not that hard of an exchange rate, but it does say all existing points and codes will be accepted quote until further notice, and points will expire a year after being redeemed post transition. So if you if you're in a store and you see a points card that has the old Microsoft points, it'll still be accepted, but make sure you spend your points within the year. It looks like. Okay, so if we have nothing else on that, let's move on here. Um, you want to talk about the Nexus 7 tablet a little bit? The new tablet from uh, Google? Yeah, it came out, uh, I believe, three weeks ago. I think it was the end of July, yeah. Yeah, it it's pretty nice. It's definitely one of the nicest Android tablets out right now. The only thing that is a downfall to it is um, that it's only a 7-inch tablet um, compared to things like the Galaxy Note. In Galaxy Tab, where you have the option of getting a 10-inch tablet. Right. Um, but I believe uh, there is a Nexus 10 coming out soon. There is, which, yeah. Which is going to be the 10-inch version. But the Nexus 7 has one of the nicest displays on tablets right now. I think they uh, actually said it is the highest resolution, yeah. 323 pixels per inch, which is over 2.3 million. Yeah, it's still second to the iPad with Retina display, though. Um, but the colors, I believe, are still nicer on the Nexus 7. Um, it has a pretty nice processor in it. I think it's the Tegra 3. I think it's a quad-core, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, from using it uh, here and there, it seems like a pretty pretty nice tablet. If you want uh, a nice, thin lightweight, it's super light, uh, portable Android tablet, then I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's for the price. You can't go wrong with it. It's only like 229, I believe. Yeah. Two tw- the Wi-Fi only models, we have a 229 for a 16 gig and about 269 for a 32 gig. And that's from Google's official site. Um, I doubt you're going to get a better price on that right away since it just came out. But I believe there's, it looks like there's also a 32 gigabyte model with LTE coming out. Uh, that looks like it'll be three hundred and fifty dollars um, with a plan, I guess, from Verizon or whatever. And there is there is a Nexus Ten tablet, but it's not. I don't believe it's a new one. Like they already had a Nexus Ten before this new Nexus Seven came out. Mm. Um, I almost wish they would have given it a different name. I think if you see it on stores, it's called like Nexus Seven and then twenty thirteen in parentheses just to differentiate. But so there is a ten inch tablet from Google Nexus Ten. It's more money. Um, starts at four hundred dollars, but. If you're if you if you wanted to get one of those, I would I would probably wait because they're probably going to release a new one too. Yeah. And the other nice thing about the Nexus tablets is that they are straight from Google, so I won't get into the whole Android update thing. But basically, what happens is, say you have a Samsung phone or any other phone, when when there's an update to Android, Google releases it, and then Samsung or LG or whoever you have has to okay it and put it out for their tablet. When you have a Nexus, you get it straight from Google. So whenever there's an update to Android, like a, a major system update, you'll be the first to get that. So that is one nice thing. It is actually manufactured by Asus, though. Right, that is right. I believe the, the new Nexus 10 is coming out. I thought I heard it was going to be made by Samsung. I haven't, I haven't heard either way, so... I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but yeah. Either way, it seems like a sweet tablet. Um, if you're into Android gaming or anything, that's probably going to be the, one of the best 
ways to go on that. I've honestly, I've been thinking about a tablet just for like, um, like school stuff. But the only, th- I, I probably won't do it just because of money. But I, I kind of like the idea of having all of my books on there because I always say like when I'm studying for school and stuff, I wish books had a Control F feature. You know, it's kind of geeky, but like. I want yeah. like I, I, there's an index in the book, of course, at the back. But I always wish you could just like see every instance of the word, whatever that I'm looking for. Uh, you'd be able to do that if I had it on there. However, one of the main things I do to save money on books at school is I I keep them and sell them. I, I buy them on Amazon or wherever's cheap, and then Amazon lets you sell them back for a gift card most of the time. So I can save money by doing that. And if I got the Kindle edition or the virtual edition, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I I, I don't know if I'll actually do it or not. But I, for for whatever reason, I really like this new t- Nexus Seven. I think it's really a nice piece of hardware yeah definitely speaking of um android tablets um samsung is going to be having a conference pretty soon i think in like october i want to say september october and it's rumored they're going to announce their next line of phones and tablets and and the new galaxy note is probably going to be announced then as well is the Note the tablet, or is it like the tablet phone hybrid thing? Um, there's the, that's the, um, that one, the, the phone is considered to be called the Note 2, I believe. Okay. Um, but there is the Galaxy Note 7-inch, the Galaxy Note 8-inch, and then there's the Galaxy Note uh, 10.1-inch. Oh, okay. Those I, are the, if you were going to get a academic like productivity tablet, I would definitely recommend a a Galaxy Note. They have a stylus. Um, there's a lot of really cool things that you can do with them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we have nothing else on that, let's move on to some more game oriented stuff. We're going to talk about uh, the difficulty of games nowadays. Are they too easy? What makes them easy? Um, why would the players of the games or the makers of the games want them to be easy? So, go ahead, Corey, start us off there. What are your thoughts on? What's happened to the difficulty? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's disappointing, really. I mean, you have games that basically play themselves, and then you also have games like Dark Souls that just destroy you. Right. Um, recently, one thing that kind of made me mad is, like, just the more I think about it, all kinds of games just... It starts with, you know... The bad guy kills your entire family, and you play through the entire game wanting to get revenge on him. And then in the last mission, you mash X, and he dies, and then that's it. There's no there's no fun to taking him out. There's no challenge to it. Like Assassin's Creed 3. I haven't I mean, played this yet, but... You haven't played... I don't no. want to spoil anything. I mean, the game's been out for, what, like a year almost? Yeah, I mean, I it's my fault for not playing it, but... Um, so, I mean, if you're... If any of the listeners don't want to get anything spoiled, you may want to turn this down for a few seconds. But I'm, I'm not really going to go into huge detail. But basically, like at the end of the game, it there's no combat with the final boss. You basically just do a couple quick time events and then mash X and you kill him. And... I was just like really, really let down by that because the combat in Assassin's Creed is one of the best things about the game. Yeah, uh, I know. I really do like that in the ones I've played. And I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with things like that 
if the game had you fight them with the in-game combat, and then, after you beat them, you go through a little cinematic quick-time event to finish them off. Right. But there are some games, like Assassin's Creed 3, there's literally no combat with, with the guy at all. So it's you almost be- like a letdown once you get there. Exactly. I felt really let down by it. Um, there's all kinds of games that do that now. All of the Call of Duty games end that way. Um, even Battlefield 3 ended that way, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Battlefield 3's campaign, to be honest. It felt pretty generic to me. It was generic, but I still thought that it was pretty cool. But yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was fun enough, but... Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, I, I wanted to bring this up. Um, I When I did my episode on the ESRB rating systems a few episodes back, that was 17, uh, Adam from the site left a comment. I'm going to not read the whole thing, but I, I want to bring this up because I think it kind of relates to what we're talking about. He mentions that one thing he doesn't love about the ESRB ratings is that difficulty and mechanical ability aren't considered. He gives the example of Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, which is a uh, RPG on the DS. It's actually a really good game. So it's an RPG, but it's it's very it's Mario style. So it's like you know cartoony and stuff. But it is still an RPG. So a young a young kid that's five or six or seven years old might not be able to really understand what's going on in it. So he says it plays more. It's rated E, but it plays more like an, a JRPG than the normal side-scrolling platformer style Mario game, which makes sense. He said I've seen kids who are rabid Mario fans pick it up and get completely lost right away because only the game's content is rated. The same goes for the Professor Layton games. They're rated E or E10, but they offer tough puzzles to solve. While it's unfair to think that all kids are of a certain intelligence level, it can be unfair to offer up a game for all ages that a six-year-old can barely play. And he finally says, It's an odd state of affairs when M-rated Call of Duty games are more forgiving than all ages puzzle games. I think that's really interesting because when you think about it, like there are games that are rated E. Like Professor Layton is a great example. It's a it's rated E, and it's not there's something wrong with the game, like inappropriate wise, but it is tough to do. And some of the M-rated Call of Duty games are so forgiving. You know, if you play them, there's checkpoints, and it's not really, in terms of difficulty, there are a lot of games that are, that would have been rated E, say in the NES days, that are worlds ahead of anything. You know, it is interesting to think how. I'm not, I don't understand what I'm trying to say. Like, the rating is just the inappropriateness of the game. It's not necessarily the skill level. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe there should almost be a way where we can say, like, you know, this game. Like, I remember games used to say, like, edutainment on the back to, yeah, to let you know. Yeah. Like, rate C for children only and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, there is the, the EC rating, is I think, is is does more of this. Like, the EC rating doesn't just mean, like,. It's for little. It means it means literally like you're not going to enjoy this unless you're like four. Yeah. It's yeah. So it's it's less about like the content slash inappropriateness of the game and more about the skill level. So I mean I'm not saying we should like we should enact like a, a an industry wide rating system to talk about the skill level of the player, but it is interesting to think how you know these yeah. little kids are playing Call of Duty and it's more it's more forgiving to play Call of Duty for them than it is to play the E rated you know Little Big Planet or whatever there is. So. Sorry, you can keep going. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I agree. Um, I mean, Little Big Planet confuses the crap out of me. I don't understand how that game works a few times that I have played it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I don't really... I agree with you. Like, it is interesting to think about, but I don't really think that that's something that ESRB has to take under their under their wing. Oh, I'm not saying they should, but it is, it's just interesting to think, you know, I, I yeah... I don't think I don't think they need to. I think they have enough to do. But so, I mean, why? I guess why would you think? I mean, this is kind of 
talking about both the games being easy and having them be like almost like cinematic. Like, why why do you think that the developers of the games like do you think they want them to be easy or do you think that they that's just that's just the pattern that the games are in? Like, like yeah, why do they all do that? Like with the quick, you know, like the like the cinematic ending where you don't actually do anything. Like, I don't really get. I think it's just the pattern right now, and it also comes down to uh, the budget of a lot of games nowadays. Um, I mean, you have things like motion capture and great animation and and graphics just looking great. So I guess they want to take advantage of that and create a cinematic experience. But at the same time, they're taking away a lot of the gameplay elements. Um, like, if you can motion capture a fight scene or whatever, that's awesome. But then that means that it's almost more like a movie than a game. You're just mashing X or Y or B or circle or square right. to to kill a boss. Um, and I, it's something that's been getting to me a lot more recently. I mean, you go back to games like, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of um, platformer games still do it well, but there aren't as many platformer games nowadays as there used to be. Um, like, I know there was that Alice game that came out a year or two ago that was pretty popular, but I never really played it. No, I didn't play that either. Um, I heard it was pretty good, though. But, I mean, it takes me back to things like Spyro stuff there like were- that, where you have to solve puzzles and actually you actually have to work towards fighting the bosses, and that was one of the funnest things about the game. I've I played through Spyro 2 Ripto's Rage probably more times than I could count. And the the boss battles were just awesome you know, because I, you're fighting against these giant monsters that you you had to actually work to defeat, and then you were rewarded with it. I I definitely agree with you. I was actually just watching the uh, the Did You Know Gaming YouTube channel, which I love. They just did one recently on Spyro, and I was watching it, thinking I love these games. Like, because it's the same thing. It makes you figure out, like, getting to a boss was like, whoa, I have to fight a boss now. And then, like, you had to figure out how to beat it. And then when you finally beat it, there was usually a new ability or, like, a whole new area of the map that you unlocked or a whole new world. It was really like, wow, this is really cool that I did this. So it's like, bosses are almost like, they sometimes now it's almost just like we have them in because we have to, you know? And the final boss was really, you know, like, even, even like, I mean, I think the games now do a good job of, like, I don't know, how do you say, like, leading up to the final boss, as in, like, making you hate the character, but at the same time, like, the actual, like you said, the actual fight isn't really that fun. So, like, in a game like Spyro, you might not necessarily, like, be emotionally attached angrily to the final boss, but the fight is so intense that you really enjoy it just because of the way you have to figure stuff out, you know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. a bad, I think a bad b- final boss fight can really, like, not ruin a game, but really, like, when you when you finish the game and you're thinking about it later, you think, I really didn't enjoy that as much as I could have because that boss was kind of lame. So yeah. Like, what, what, do, what would you say are probably, like, some of your favorite, like, boss fights ever? Like, can you think of any? <clears throat> um, hmm. I mean, off the top of my head, it definitely is Ripto's Rage again. Um, when you're fighting Ripto, there's, like... M- I believe three different phases to the boss fight. Um, and you have basically have to use almost everything that you learn throughout the entire game to take him out. And then you finally, you're finally flying over this giant lava pit. I mean, it's, it's really silly to look back at it, but it was so cool whenever we played it. Um, you're flying 
over this lava pit and you finally take him out and he falls into the lava. Um, like pretty much every Spyro game ended that way with yeah. somebody falling into lava. And then after the credits, they'd like stick their hand back out. It was always so, so much fun. Though. Yeah. You're making me want to play that game now, honestly, that you talk about that. I really enjoy it. I, I never played the first one, but I had the second one and I borrowed the third one off my friend and I thoroughly enjoyed both of those. Mm-hmm. That's a good example of a game series that was amazing to start off with and then just recently it's just turned to crap, if you ask me. But Yeah, it's same with Ratchet and Clank. I mean, it just comes down to the original creators of it lose the rights to it or sell the rights to it or whatever. Now, Ratchet and Clank, I, I wouldn't say Ratchet and Clank, I mean, in my opinion, is exactly the same. I, ne- I played the first one. I've had the second, I love the second one to death. I never played the third one, although people say that's the best one. But yeah, I do think. It's definitely my favorite. I do, I do think that some of the newer ones are good. Like, I've played um, Future Tools of Destruction. I, I enjoyed that one, and I really enjoyed A Crack in Time. Um, I haven't played All for One which I believe is more multiplayer-based, so I, I don't think I'd enjoy that anyway. But I, I do think the newer ones at those are good. I mean, I don't, I don't know I don't know if I compare them to the original three. Yeah, they, but, they definitely are still good, but they aren't as good. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, and there was one on the PSP I didn't really like either. Size matters. It was okay, but it just felt small, which I guess is ironic. But yeah, I mean, it, probably just because it was on the PSP. But, but yeah, so I mean, I don't know, I mean... You were talking about like kind of playing a movie. I, I think if you do that right, it can be really enjoyable. Like for example, the Uncharted games. I played the first one and the second one. I haven't played the third one yet. I I like the first one. I really do like the second one. It feels like playing a movie, but I feel like it does it right. Like I, I don't want every game I play to be like that, but I kind of like the idea where it's like you know it throws you into a situation and it is a little bit open to where you know do you want to try to blaze through and, and kill everybody or do you want to like take them out stealthily i'm not saying i mean uncharted is not like my favorite game ever but that i feel like does the movie feel correctly but i don't i i wish i, I wish that all games wouldn't do that now yeah i agree with that um there are definitely some games nowadays that still do it right um, but I would say for the most part, it's something that needs to be improved on. And I, th- I, like, I think it is just a pattern right now because of recent things like motion capture and stuff like that. But it really just comes down to what kind of game you're playing. Um, I mean, if, if you're ex- expecting some kind of insane boss battle from a Call of Duty game, eh, you're probably not going to get it. Right, and I do think different genres have different problems. Like in a platformer or a, an action game like Spyro, Ratchet & Clank, or something like that, it's a little bit easier to think of a creative boss. Um, even, but, I mean, in a first-person shooter, it is tough. Now, you do have things like Portal. I mean, the boss fight, both boss fights in Portal games were pretty cool. Um, you know, they were unique, and it was more like a puzzle. It wasn't, but in an action first-person shooter game, it is kind of hard to think of a creative way to have a boss fight, I guess. I mean, I, yeah. I, know, I know I would run out of ideas if it was my job. I mean, even if even if the boss can just take a few more hits and has a really good gun or something, that, I mean, like, yeah, there's a point where you have to take your ultra-realism and stuff like that and just be like, we need to make this final boss fun to fight. Um, like, if, if you're chasing him down, give him a few more hits, or, you know, shoot him a few times, then he runs into the next area. You know, something like that. Like, I don't know if you've ever played the old arcade game Time Crisis. Um, I, you know what? I haven't played it. I've watched, I watched a little bit of it when I was trying to get that ringtone for you one time. <laughs> yeah. But no, I've never actually played it, no. 
Uh, I, I love that game. But, I mean, that's a completely different kind of game. But that's because it's on it's an on-rails shooter, um, an on-rails arcade shooter. So, obviously, that isn't the same as um, an action first-person shooter like uh, Call of Duty or Battlefield is, but I still think there's things that they can learn from games like that. Yeah. It is still a first-person perspective, um, and every other enemy in the game takes one or two hits to kill, uh, but then the bosses are... You know, they're actually difficult. They have their own special moves and attacks, and they're agile, and they're hard to hit, um, and they can take a lot of hits. And, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to make an enemy be able to take a lot of hits in a semi-realistic way. Yeah. You know, I think even... You said this made me think... You touched on this, made me think about this. I like... Sometimes even, like, having a boss have a pattern, which most do... Is actually can be really interesting. Two examples that came to my mind right away. Have you played Link's Crossbow Training on the Wii? I did play that um, whenever my, I first got my Wii, but yeah. I haven't really. I that I mean that game was I mean I wouldn't really it's I wouldn't call it like a Zelda game. It's more if you don't know what it is, the Wii came out with a thing called the Wii Zapper, which was basically a it was basically a plastic gun shell kind of where you would put the Wii you put your remote in and attach the nunchuck and it would have like a, a, for, a front grip and you held it like a gun and there were a few games not a lot but a few games that took use of it to where you know you had, you had the uh, control stick of the nunchuck in one hand and you could pull the trigger which activated the button on the remote it was kind of cool that when that when when that zapper came out, it was bundled with a game called Link's Crossbow Training, which was kind of like a Wii Sports esque demo to show off the capabilities of it. And it was a Zelda game where you know there were levels where you just shot targets, but there were some bosses too where you fought bosses from the Zelda games. And it was fun, um, but it was they fell into a pattern. You had to figure out okay, I have to shoot this guy's hands, and then he'll drop his head. Not he's weak on his head, that kind of thing. And the other game makes me feel like that pattern that's really really fun. Have you played the Punch Out games? No. Okay, Punch-Out, there was Punch-Out on the NES, Super Punch-Out on the Super Nintendo, and then there was a Punch-Out on the Wii that I haven't played. Those games are a blast, because they're, no, Punch-Out, it looks like a fighting game, but it's, I would consider it more a puzzle game, because every enemy has a different way of attacking. Like, for example, there's a boss, or a, not, there, there's no boss, there's a, an enemy called King Hippo, and when you punch him, in the, he's really fat, when you punch him in the stomach, the screen pauses for a second and he laughs at you. So you have to figure out that you have to hit him in the head when he drops his guard. That makes his pants fall down and then he's weak like that, that kind of thing. So it's not even like a fighting game, like Mortal Kombat or like something where you're just like mashing buttons or figuring out combos. It's more figuring out when he's weak. And that game is so much fun because when you first start fighting against someone, they'll like knock you out right away. And you're like, how do I beat this guy? And you figure out, Oh, when he makes that, when his right eye twinkles, it means he's going to, punch me this way so i need to dodge that then hit him then he'll be like that kind of thing and there's that game is just so much fun to go through because you're constantly learning and figuring out making new connections so i really enjoy that style and there's no real boss in that game like there's you know you get to the end and they're they, they get harder as you go along but everyone has their own unique style and even though they they fight in a a pattern there it's really enjoyable to figure out the patterns and fight them that way so yeah that makes sense I mean that that definitely is something that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I would. Def I mean, you can get them on where I mean, if you play on emulators or on they're on the Wii Shop channel and stuff like that. Um, they won't be that expensive because they're old games, but they're definitely a lot of fun, especially if you've never played one before. Because like I said, at first it seems like you're never going to beat them, and then you eventually figure it out. 
So let's let's I have segue on two different little things here. It seems like maybe indie games are the way to go, both with difficulty and boss creativity. It seems like it, I've read a few different articles saying like. You know, is it good enough that our, our mainstream games are pretty easy while we have games like Super Meat Boy that are crushingly difficult? Do you think that's okay? You know, how do you feel about that, getting your fix from indie games? Um, there are definitely a lot of really neat indie games. Uh, there's a lot of ones that kind of recycle the same old stuff, though. Um, could you reiterate your question again? Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out what my question is. Like, do you think that it's okay that while we have mainstream games giving us some, like, I don't want to say watered down, but pretty, like, more hand-holding experiences, almost like taking you through a movie, for, for the most part, when we have indie games that are crushingly difficult. Do you think that's a good enough alternative, or do you think it's good? Like, what do you have any thoughts on that overall? Um, I, I mean, I, the exploding indie scene is definitely um, kind of rejuvenated a lot of stuff within gaming altogether. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of AAA developers that are now kind of learning from that and realizing maybe we shouldn't make the same thing over and over again. Right. But at the same time, there's a lot of indie developers that make the same thing over and over again. There's a oh look, another 8-bit p- platformer came out today. Yeah, no, uh, that that is true. I mean, there's there a lot of yeah. Um, but I mean, there's definitely a lot of really cool indie games that are kind of experimenting. Like, uh, there's that game that just came out, um, Receiver. It's not really a game, it's more like a tech demo, but it's basically a fully functioning gun, and there aren't really any enemies in the game, just like little sentry guns you have to shoot at, but basically you have full control over how the gun works, like, in a completely realistic manner, so you have to actually reload, you have to actually put bullets in your magazine, and then remember to load it back in, and you have to cock the pistol and stuff like that. Um, it's there's just a lot of indie games that are coming out that are kind of experimenting. I think that's that's the nice thing. Yeah, and th- and I do. Um, I whoops, sorry, I was, I was gonna came up. Um, if that came on, the, I don't think it came on the sound. But if it did, I'm sorry. What was I saying? Oh, I think yeah, I think indie games are a lot more free to experiment, like you said, because they don't have the pressure of. I mean, I've discussed this a little bit before, so I, I won't go into detail. But they don't have the pressure of, hey, we know this game is going to make X million dollars because people are going to buy it because it has the label, or whatever. So, they yeah, don't want, they're, like there's there's no pressure on for on big studios to innovate because they're they're reasonably sure people are going to buy it anyway. Whereas indie yeah. games have to make a name for themselves and think, okay, are people going to want to play this if it's just the same as everything else? So that is why I really enjoy. I mean, at first, I, I mentioned this way back, like on my second episode, I, I wasn't really a fan of indie games because I saw indie games as that weird section on the Xbox Live Store where they look like someone drew them with a crayon and they look like they're crap and I could play them online for free. That's not. I mean. I, I, that was probably an incorrect view of them, but the, certainly not now. They've evolved into much more of a, you know, a viable option to play. And let's talk about. Do you have anything to say about that? I'm sorry. No, that's okay. um, you hit it on the head. Let's let's mention. Do you want to talk about quick time events at all? Do we already? Go I to, think we you go through that enough. That okay, enough. we went through that. Okay, so while we're talking about indie games, uh, did, what did you buy during the Steam sale? I, I meant to talk about this on my show normally, and I didn't because. Uh, I guess I was gone for a few weeks. So, did you get anything during the Steam sale that was exciting? Um, I I did buy a few games. Um, 
I bought The Binding of Isaac. Uh, I hadn't really, you know, I'd kept an eye on that game, but I'd never really bought it because I didn't really get it. But then I realized that it was actually supposed to be like a permadeath game. Um, and I don't know, for some reason I didn't get that at first, but then I suddenly was just like, you know what, this looks really fun and really addicting, and I bought it for like 250 or whatever. Yeah, I believe it's pretty cheap already. Yeah, and it was, um, I've gotten a decent amount of enjoyment out of it. It's, it's um, a nice little offline game you can play whenever you're not connected to the internet and stuff like that. I was playing it a lot on vacation. Um, yeah, I, ha- I got that in a humble bundle. Um, if you don't know about that game, that was made by Edmund McMillan, who also made was part of Super Meat Boy. I I own it. I got it in a humble bundle a while back, but I actually haven't played it at all yet. Um, I bought Kerbal Space Program. Uh, it's an interesting game, but I haven't uh, played it too much because right now it's just like a sandbox mode. And I think they are. Their next few updates, from what I've heard, are going to be heading towards the uh, like campaign direction. So okay. hopefully there will be a bit more actual gameplay in there uh, soon. Um, I bought the original Payday, I believe, and I liked the original Payday so much that I pre-ordered P- Payday, uh, sorry, Payday 2. Um, and I've been playing Payday 2 a lot. It's a lot of fun. Um, is that a what, what kind of game is that? I've heard I've seen people playing it on Twitter, but I haven't. I know nothing about it actually. Uh, it's a first-person shooter. Um, it's a co-op first-person shooter where uh, uh, it'd be naive to call it a bank robbery simulator, but um, it's basically a, a heist first-person shooter. Oh, you, okay. have a, you have a team of four people. Um, in Payday Two, they added a lot more of a skill tree set so that each person can, you know, customize their skills to be able to be either like the tanky one or like the sneaky one that can hack into stuff or um, like the one with the explosives. Uh, There's a lot of different ways you can build it or you could build up all three or, you know, all four trees if you want. Okay. They added a ton more customization in Payday 2 between mask customization and gun customization. Um, Basically, every heist uh, is a lot of, like, almost everything in each heist is randomized. Like, um, in Payday 2, right now there's only one actual bank heist, and then the rest are, like, either jewelry store or there's a couple other, like, side missions you have to do. Um, But basically, say you're robbing the bank, um, what, you know, how many civilians are going to be in the bank how many civilians are going to be walking around outside the bank, how many guards there are, where the guards are, where are the cameras, um, you know, is is the thermal drill you need going to be in this truck or that truck, or is this escape van going to come over here, or is it going to come over there? There's so many randomized elements to it. Oh, okay, um, that's sweet. So, so it's never the same thing twice. No. Uh, there's a ton of different difficulty settings, anywhere from, like, just basic police and SWAT officers to having, like, Marines come after you. And uh, they're planning on updating the game a lot with new weapons and enemies and uh, maps to play. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. And then after every after every payday, uh, you get, like, random loot. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's really addicting as so that, well. So that, that's out now, right? Yeah, payday... Okay was out for about 
I want to say a year and a half, and Payday 2 just came out uh, about a month ago. So is it is, is this is it only online or like so you just get in a lobby with random people and then you jump yeah. into a, ra- a random map? Okay. Yeah. Um. There's no real actual campaign to it that you have to complete. You just have the different missions to choose from, some of which are longer than others, and the longer ones, uh, you know, have better payouts. Uh, the bank heist is a nice. Uh, it's kind of like a. It doesn't take too long to beat because it's only considered like a one-day mission, um, but you can still get a lot of loot from it if you uh, crank up the difficulty. Uh, I would definitely recommend it if you have friends. They're gonna get it too. I mean, I've made a couple friends just from playing it online, uh, but it's definitely something you want to have a good team for. Yeah. You- you can play offline with the AI, but the AI doesn't really do anything. They kind of just shoot stuff. So, so yeah, I'm sure it wouldn't be as fun as playing with real people. Mm-hmm. So is there like, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a good comparison. Like what's the incentive to keep playing? Like, you know how, like part of what makes Call of Duty so addicting to everybody is like you can, you know, get attachments for your guns and get challenges for your perks and stuff. What, what makes this, like what makes it keep worth continuing to go over and over? Um, like I said, you do level up as you go, so you can unlock new skills um, in the skill trees. And then as you level up, you get different armor types and um, and different weapons. And you get the base weapons from leveling up, and then you have to buy them. Um, oh, okay. You don't get any attachments for them until at the end of each payday, uh, you get to spin, like, you get to pick a random card, uh... You basically get to pick a random reward. It could either be a mask or a paint job for a mask, or it'll be a random weapon attachment. Um, And that's one thing that I and a lot of other people are kind of disappointed with. Like, basically, if you want to get any attachments for your gun, you have to grind for them, because there's no way of actually getting any attachments except for the one random element that you get after each successful mission. Oh, okay. So, um, like, you could get anything from uh, an attachment for a gun you never use or don't have unlocked yet or don't use anymore because it's not as good as this newer gun, or you get, like, a mask, or you can sometimes just get extra cash. Um, So... The it's kind of a grind to to upgrade your weapons, but I mean for the most part all the weapons do the same thing. Okay, well, that sounds pretty interesting. I, I mean, would, it's a lot uh, of fun yeah. if you like grinding. Yeah, if it was if it wasn't, I, I I would I won't get it now because of this situation at school. Um, when I can get on the internet to play like to play Steam games, it's the connection's not great, so. I'm not going to get that now, but it sounds like a pretty sweet game. Uh, is there anything else that you bought that you'd like to share or recently uh, you've been playing? I bought Disney Infinity uh, last week. Is that is that what I think? Is it like a Super Smash Brothers with Disney characters? No. Oh, okay. It's, it's basically like Halo 3 Forge mode, uh, but with Skylanders. Um, it's, it's like a toy-based thing. Oh, okay. Um, me and my girlfriend were in GameStop one day, and we both kind of just saw, like, an ad for it, and we were like, wow, it looks pretty fun, and I, I watched some YouTube videos on it, and I was like, yeah, it looks pretty fun. She said, oh, we'll get it, and we'll play together. I bought it. She hasn't bought it yet. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually a pretty cool game, but 
since the majority of the game is based around creating your own levels and maps, um, it's it's kind of better to have someone else to play with. Uh, yeah, but okay. The figures are really cool. Um, it's a gorgeous game. Uh, it's a very high-def yet cartoony-looking style to it. Um, I mean, I would recommend it if you're going to have people to play it with or if you have kids or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a good game to play with people who don't like to play games, almost. It's definitely a lot yeah. more... I mean, it's it's very simple Forge mode, but there's a lot that you can do with it. You can basically create terrain and maps and stuff like that and then put things on it and put enemy spawners and different different things. Uh, you can make racetracks and stuff like that. It, it's neat. But you definitely need somebody to play it with. Even I mean, it could be people who aren't gamers, but even people who are gamers. I mean, just because of how open-ended it is, it's definitely pretty neat. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really fun leveling up kind of elements to it. And every time you, like, complete a mission or level up, you get a random... You get, like, a, a random spin in the in-game uh, toy unlocker, basically. Uh, if you unlock a new toy, that's basically a new piece that you can use in your maps and stuff like that. Hmm. It's neat. Um, yeah, and it does look like is that this looks like something you can uh, sink some money into with like yeah. buying more figures and that. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. That looks pretty cool. Almost so it's like a Skylanders. That makes sense. Uh, let me see what I bought here during the sale. Um, what's popping up here? Okay. Uh, I bought well, I bought Guacamelee. Um, I didn't buy that during the sale, but I bought it when it came out. It was on sale. It's a pretty cool game. It was on PS3 first. I believe it came out in, like, February. And I've seen some people, like some of the old guys from Nintendo Power, tweeting about it. It's a really cool game. Uh, basically, it's a Metroidvania-style uh, Mexican-themed platforming game. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, it's sort of like in Metroid and Castlevania, same thing. The moves that you learn, not only do they help you what you use to fight, but they're also how you get around. So, like, the first move you learn is an uppercut, which helps you get to higher areas. And then eventually you learn double jump and stuff like that. Uh, I really enjoy it so far. It has a lot of good nods to other games. The combat's fun. I'm getting close to being done with it. Um, I haven't fought the boss yet, but I'm doing some things to clean up before I do that. So, I definitely recommend that one. I bought a bunch of stuff from the sale that I, I, I haven't had a lot of time to play uh, lately. I bought To the Moon... Uh, which is like a... Have you heard about that? I have not. Yeah, uh, Adam, who does on the site, does the Indie Game of the Week every week. He did To the Moon. It's his Indie Game of the Week a couple weeks back. It's uh, it's an RPG-style game. It was made in RPG Maker. He says it's more a good... It's more good than it is, like, fun. It's 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 almost like a like playing... It's, it's a really good story. Uh, it, has a, it has, like, a light RPG, so it's not, like, super intense, and it's fairly short, but he recommended it because it has a really good story, and it was on sale for, like, $2 during the sale, so I got that. I picked up a few other things. Um, I got Bastion. Do you have that? Uh, I've played the demo on Xbox Live, but, I mean, it, I, it didn't really completely enthrall me that much as other people said it did to them. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I saw good reviews on it, and a friend recommended it, and, again, it was, like, $2, so I got that. Um, I got Starseed Pilgrim because Jonathan Blow had been talking about that, and I would go on his recommendations. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it. I got I got Gunpoint. I already talked about that. Though. Have you played that game? That's a really good one. Um, I've seen some I've seen some gameplay of it. It seems like is that the one where you can you basically control like wiring and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, you can rewire yeah. the buildings. Yeah. 
I, I'm not sure how much I'd enjoy that. It looks pretty... It looks kind of a bit too complicated and involved for me. I mean, I, I honestly... I looked at the level creator, and I think I'd enjoy creating the levels more than I'd enjoy actually solving them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the game's not too long, and they're, and what makes it really enjoyable... Like, the, the presence of the game is really good. Like, the... In, 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 like you take missions for different people and it's not, I mean, you can't, there's not a lot of like variety, but there, there are a few choices you can make that determine what the, what happens at the end. And there's like, when you talk, there's like branching speech paths, almost like a fallout type thing. Or when someone asks you something, there's a few different answers, stuff like that. So it's pretty fun. Um, it's again, it's not real long, but if you like action plat, but puzzle platformers, you'll definitely like that. Uh, so moving on from there, are there any games, um, on your wish list or games that are coming out soon? Any, any upcoming things you're looking forward to? Yes. Yes. Hearthstone. Um, it's a new online collectible card game by Blizzard and set in like the World of Warcraft universe. Okay. Uh, I'm not really a huge World of Warcraft fan, but... This collectible, I, I, I'm getting into collectible card games and like the puzzle and strategy involved with them. Um, and this game looks really, really good. It just started closed beta um, 11 days ago, okay. I believe, on like the 16th or something. Um, and basically, you can go on to the website and sign up for it, um, and they'll send you an email. Uh, with a beta key, but there's so many people hoping to get in. Like the internet's been blowing up about this game it, it looks like a ton of fun um and i have a feeling blizzard's going to be able to keep it interesting just because of how much they crank out new content so um, i would imagine there's going to be a lot more cards and classes and stuff like that coming out constantly evolving yeah yeah as as the game goes on but right now it's in closed beta i'm not sure if it's going to go into open beta or whether or not it's just going to jump straight into the official release but I'm definitely getting that game whenever it comes out, uh, if I can't get it, you know, if I can't get in on the open beta. It's actually free-to-play. I forgot to mention that. It is free-to-play um, collectible card game. I believe each five-pack of booster cards um, costs about $1.50 or $2, I want to say. Uh, so that's how you can, you can either unlock the booster packs from playing with in-game money, or you can you know, put out an extra, you know, take a, take a bit out of your wallet to get some more booster packs. Yeah. Now that, that would all be online, right? Like you wouldn't have to go to the store to buy a pack and then enter them in or anything like that. No. Okay. A- I figured. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't see any, uh, I did just look that up there. It looks like it is. You're right. It's in closed beta, but I don't see any, uh, release date for that. Yeah, I've been looking all over the place. I've been I've been excited. I just discovered that game like on Friday, um, and I as soon as I saw it, I I put in for a beta invite. We'll see if I get one today. <laughs> yeah, that that would be really exciting. I know I I know I love finding a game that's like, you know, wow, that's just you know, like like you like found it. And you, that's all you can think about. Yeah, I um, there's not really anything. I I have a lot in like my backlog to play. I mean, I'm planning on hopefully finishing guacamelee in the next couple of days and then i want to play through to the moon because i know that'll be shorter but um there's nothing i'm like super looking forward to they did announce um angry video game and their adventures is going to be coming out in september mm-hmm. so i'm pretty excited for that and then um but other than that i mean pr- probably just uh watch dogs with my yeah. playstation 4 although i am really excited for 
I'm, I'm getting PS Plus with my PlayStation 4, obviously. I'm excited for just... You know, when PlayStation Plus came out, I wanted to get it, but I didn't know if it would be worth it for me, so I didn't. I'm actually really excited just to, like, to have... I'm, I'm like, excited to pay for Plus because of just the opportunity, like, oh, this game's free, I'll check it out. You know, like, that kind of thing. Like, I'm really excited just to see what's going to be on there. I've already, I've even read about a few free-to-play shooters that are going to be on PS Plus, so I'm, I'm pretty excited just to see, like, when I turn on my system, what's going to be there to play, you know? Yeah, Plant Side 2 coming to uh, PS4 has got me really excited. Right now, my computer can run it on like low to medium, but um, I'd definitely rather play it on a console just because I like, you know, I like just being being able to sit back and relax and enjoy a shooter. But Plant Side 2 looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the. Uh, I would definitely, I'm definitely excited for the new consoles. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I haven't talked about much on the show, but I mean, I definitely wanted, like, I decided I wanted to do it, so I just, you know, cut grass and stuff and put money aside for it. So I'm definitely just excited for, like, the over, like, this, this will be the first console I've ever gotten on release date, so I'm just really excited for just the whole, you know, taking it out, checking it out. And I definitely, you know, I really like, I've, before I got my computer for school last year, I was never, I never played a PC game in my life. I, I really like Steam. I really like indie games. I really, but there's something to me, just, I, I do still prefer a console. I mean, I've, as I've discussed before, I'm really not good at using a keyboard and mouse for games, especially shooters. So yeah, I definitely feel like I'm going to enjoy the PlayStation 4 a lot. So yeah, it's something you definitely have to learn and get used to. And I, mean, I could I, if I forced myself, but I just haven't. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so do we have any other topics we want to discuss? Um, before we close up here, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. No, I can't think of anything else. Okay, so I guess we're good for now then. Um, so this has been episode 22 of A Secret to Everybody. Thank you for Corey for joining us. Um, I'm glad it finally worked out. I am sorry for the past two weeks of delay. Um, now that I'm back in school with a schedule and everything, hopefully that won't be happening much more. Like I said, last week was busy because I'm moving and stuff. So hopefully I'll be able to nail down a more specific schedule and we'll hopefully be having some more guests regularly on the show. So any parting words, Corey? Uh, nope. Just have fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here again to Corey and our outro music, uh, this week is once again from my friend Fox synergy. Uh, again, as I've said before, I don't get paid to do any of this. I just, I, I happen to find this website, open game art, which is a collection of game music, pictures, anything like that. People can put up if they're wanting to, help people that are making a game. I like it just because I like to feature like chiptune music on my show and stuff. That's where I found the show's intro that I play every week. So if you haven't checked out Fox Energy's music, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you would. He's a really cool guy. Um, he's on Twitter too. We're friends. So I really appreciate him taking the time to make this music and offering it for free so that I can use it. So I'm not, again, I'm not paid or anything like that, but I just, you know, when I go on, I just go to the, all of the, music and i say oh i like this one play it and it happens to be by him so it's just coincidence so anyway i always link to his page in the notes um so you can find it there it'll be really easy to find this song is called to the streets and we will see you next time <laughs> <laughs>